When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm ready to give up and I hate everything. And then I get an idea for a short story and it's like, okay, let's try writing this. Even though I've just decided that I really hate writing and writing is awful and I don't ever want to do this again. But I have a great story idea, so let's see what happens. Welcome to Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, the weekly podcast that asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to day of publication. I'm your host, author Sarah Nicholas, and literary agent Sarah Fisk. Kathleen Merple Kalb describes herself as an author, anchor, mom, not in that order. A weekend anchor at 1010 Winds Radio in New York, she writes mysteries for Kensington and Crooked Lane books, as well as short stories. She, her husband, and son live in a Connecticut house owned by their cat. So please welcome Kathleen to the show. Hello. Hi there. Nice to be here. Hi. All right. So today we're going to discuss your journey to publication, and we're going to start by going all the way back to the beginning. When did you first start getting interested in writing? And then how long did it take from there before you started getting serious about pursuing publication? Well, I don't remember a time that I didn't want to write a book. (laughs) So for the first time I read books, I wanted to write them. I mean, and when I was, I think in middle school, somebody said, gee, you know, you could write a book someday. And I, I, being a overconfident tween, I thought, okay, sure, why not? From the time I was probably 10 or 11, I was writing things, not necessarily anything that any human would want to read, but I was writing things. And then when I was 16, the summer between, uh, what, sophomore and junior year, I actually wrote an historical uh, novel, which I then attempted to query. Um, Yeah. And this was before um, email and that kind of thing. This was, I was um, 16 a while ago. And I actually got a couple of, I did not try for an agent. I just went straight to editors because I was, mm-hmm. you know, not a, a not very bright Western Pennsylvania kid. And I actually got a few editors at Real Publishers to read it. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, none of them bought it because I don't, wouldn't want my name on that thing right now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I did. So fast forward, you know, college, building a career, getting married, child. And my son, when my son started kindergarten, because I work weekends, so I can weekends and holidays and fill in. That's what I do. So I can be at home with my son. And all of a sudden, I'm going to have five hours a day where child is at school or doing things when I have like all this time. And oh my goodness, why don't I return to the dream of writing a book again? What a great idea. And I did. I wrote a mystery set at a small radio station in Vermont, which will sound familiar because (laughs) a later version of that isn't going to be published. Not that version, though. Mm -hmm. And that was my first one and queried it. It didn't sell, but I, you know, got some people to read it and some agents. And and so, okay. And then I came up with, tried another project, which again, didn't sell, but I was still querying that while I was querying the Vermont radio mystery. And the third project which is the one that ended up in the Ella Shane Mysteries, was a historical, because I've always been fascinated by historical mystery, by, by history and the Gilded Age. And it didn't. I didn't think anybody was writing anything like this, which is a woman who sings 
men's roles in opera, trouser roles, a deep a trouser trouser diva is what she's called. That I thought opened up all kinds of fun for a woman who does her own swordplay mm. and basically can be kind of an action hero while she's solving mysteries. And that one got the attention of some agents, and ultimately I ended up with my wonderful current agent. Yeah, we'll talk more in detail about that. So for listeners who've listened before, I'm going to ask this question a little bit differently than I usually ask it because I realized I was not getting out of the question what I wanted. Can you tell me more about the moment that you realized that you wanted to be a published author? And specifically, I'm looking at like, how did you think that that was going to look? How did you think, you know, your career and your life as an author was going to look? Not like this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I had this, you know, I grew up reading Elizabeth Peters and Dorothy Sayers and um, Joan Hess and a lot of these people who who were, um, and, and Sarah Paretsky, a lot of the people who were the early hard-boiled or the, the people who were kind of the new wave of women writing mysteries. And I thought I was going to write books and sign them and people were going to come see me and I was going to meet people and people would, you know, <laughs> yeah. And I'm... <laughs> mm-hmm. So once you started the second time taking it seriously, you're going to query and everything. How did you learn more about the publishing industry? Like how it works, how to query, all those different things. I'm sure you've heard this before. Janet Reed's Query Shark blog, Mm -hmm. where she takes queries and rips them apart from the beginning and and then reassembles them into a form that makes sense to her. Janet Reed has a daily blog and not daily anymore. It used to be daily. And uh, then the Query Shark blog, which is a separate thing, where she goes through queries and explains what works and what doesn't from an agent's point of view, which, sorry, that's the only point of view that matters if you're querying an agent. That in itself was a huge education. And I just read everything I could get my hands on about what is a query that works and examples of ones that do and ones that don't. And just, you know, started with her as kind of the jumping off point. And then literally I would just Google, you know, successful queries or querying or, you know, agents, what are agents looking for? Oh, manuscript wish list. You know, what are people looking for? Although sometimes manuscript wish list was kind of out there. You know, people would say that they are looking for this one very specific thing, people in some little city in the middle of nowhere in the 1600s. Like somebody writes that book, but it's not me. And so it would be sometimes be these very, very specific things, demographics and the, you know, stuff that I'm sure it's a lovely book, but it, it's so specific that there's like one person in the world who wrote that book. So, so manuscript wish list is a little dicey. But it just basically read everything you can get your hands on. That's what I did. Yeah, that's definitely not the first time someone has mentioned Jana Reed's blog on the podcast for sure. Yeah, it's very helpful. Yeah. You gave us a, a little preview, but can you kind of break down for us your journey in detail from, you know, deciding you wanted to be an author to signing your first book contract? What did the querying process look like for you? Oh, the querying process was impressively ugly. It, uh, you know, you think you know, and then you don't. I'm a broadcaster, and it's not like I'm wimpy. I'm I'm a news anchor. We've seen stuff, and, and you know, and I was a reporter at one point. You know, I've seen stuff. I've done stuff. I've been places, and I'm not afraid of the word no. I'm not afraid of people telling me I should, I can't, or shouldn't be doing something. Mm-hmm. Usually, I tell them to go to hell and keep going. So I'm one of the tough girls to begin with. But querying was a whole different level of emotional stress. I have 200 plus 
query, the 200 plus rejections. And those are the rejections that I got rejections for. Mm -hmm. And most of them are just, you know, form rejections, you know, dear author. I, I, nothing good ever followed the words dear author. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I mean, that's bottom line. Anybody who's actually going to buy your work addresses you by your name, not as dear author. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I just kept going. I was kind of determined and, and we were kind of, we were in the middle of a family health issue. And to some degree, it was like, oh, you don't like my little book? Well, do you know where I'm sitting while you're getting this? I'm sitting in a waiting room at a hospital where my, while my husband was going through some stuff. Mm. And it's kind of like, okay, this is the small thing that I can just deal with and the big, well, the big stuff's going on. So, you know, it's like, okay, you know, fine. You don't like my book? Next guy. And that's, and I just kept doing that. And I had, you know, the one project with the Vermont Radio Mystery, which kind of didn't work out and the original version. And then I had another thing that was sort of a women's fiction piece and I reworked that into a mystery. And then I got the idea for the yellow book. It's funny because people always say, did you know? And I did. I did. I knew that was the one. (laughs) So nice. I don't know if everybody does. It's time. Can you read your successful query letter for us? Absolutely. So this is the query and it goes a little something like this. Dear Ms. Agent, time for a break from 2018. Let swashbuckling diva Ella Shane take you back to Gilded Age, New York for mystery, misadventure, and just a little romance. There's even a wicked duke. Diva in trousers, mystery, 75,000 words, finds Ella, a singer who specializes in male soprano roles, trying to find out why her last Juliet dropped dead on stage after the unfortunate lady's cousin, our duke, comes looking for answers. Ella and a colorful cast of old New York characters pitch in to find the truth and maybe a murderer. Along the way, we'll meet everyone from Ella's manager, Cousin Tommy, confirmed bachelor, wink, and retired boxing champ, to her wisecracking parrot, Montezuma, to fellow diva Marie Delartois, the former Maisie Mazeroski of Poughkeepsie. We'll also find out if an Irish-Jewish girl made good from the Lower East Side can look at a duke, or if she'd even want to. And about the swashbuckling, Ella defeats all comers, including his grace, with her foil. It's a fun change for me, too, after a career in news. I trained as an historian first, BA, British History, Phi Beta Kappa, and still voraciously read social history. With more than a decade anchoring weekend mornings at 1010 Winds, New York, I have a little built-in platform, and more importantly, the working journalist's comfort with deadlines, critiques, and revisions. Opening pages are pasted below. Thank you for your consideration. I look forward to hearing from you respectfully. Me. It's funny. I definitely heard like your anchor voice when yeah. you were reading that query. I can't help it. It comes on when I'm reading out loud. <laughs> yeah. If, you know, reading like copy from the book. I have to be careful if I'm doing like a reading because I'll slip into that and just, you know, <laughs> like I'm reading a story. It's fun. How has your experience been since signing your contract? Were there any surprises along the way? I'm sure you weren't expecting the pandemic, but. Oh, yeah, my favorite story, the, my, my, the one I like to tell is this never happens for a debut author, but somebody had a, a lost, somebody dropped out at the last minute. And I had a signing on my debut publishing day planned for the Yale bookstore, just 20 minutes away from my house. I was going to have a book signing on my first publication day on April 29th, 2020. And we all know how that turned out. On April 29th, 2020, I was in my living room wearing a pair of bright print leggings and drinking a glass of sherry by myself. But yeah, the, the weird thing about the pandemic is that we didn't really realize until that weekend in um, early March when the, when the um, 
it, I, I experienced it because I was working in the city that weekend and, and all of a sudden we had no sports. Mm-hmm. And that was the thing that just shocked me because I hang out with the sports guys and all of a sudden the sports guys had nothing to do. <laughs> and, it, and it was like, oh my God, this is, this is serious. They canceled the game at Madison Square Garden. This is serious. Mm-hmm. I still didn't process it at that point. I thought, okay, this is a break. This is, you know, because they were talking about, you know, two weeks to flatten the curve. Weeks, yeah. And, yeah, da, da, da. And, and the Yale thing was, and the bookstore was still scheduled. And there was a, there was a panel discussion that was scheduled for um, another bookstore nearby. We all just kind of pretended like we're going to get through a couple weeks and everything's going to be fine and everything's going to be fine. And it wasn't. <laughs> and in the meantime, the, the big surprise for me and the advice I would give every writer now is work on your social media presence. You may or may not need it, but get that <laughs> sucker going because I didn't have much of a social media presence. I ha- I'm, a, I'm an anchor in New York and I've always been extremely cautious about protecting my family's privacy. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want somebody who didn't like my act at work to come after me at home or, you know, or anything like that. So I was very, always very cautious about my online presence. And so I had almost nothing as an author presence. And I had to go out there and build the plane in the air, which was like, no, don't do that. <laughs> me. It's time for the quick round. I call it author DNA. Are you a pantser or a plotter? I call myself a semi-pantser, which sounds like the hero of some tween, you know, graphic novel, but yeah, I'm a semi-pantser. I do uh, the, the big scenes and then I, then I outline and synopsis and all that. Do you tend to be an overwriter or an underwriter? Underwriter lifetime in newsrooms, you have to tell me to expand things. I always come in short. Mm. Do you tend to write better in the morning or at night? Whenever there's five minutes and a flat surface for a laptop. (laughs) Whenever you start with a new concept, do you typically start with first character or plot or concept or something else? Characters. It's always characters. Um, Everything I write is character driven. It's, you know, each of these people could only, only these people could solve these mysteries because of something they know. Mm. Uh, that's that's just I'm very character driven. Do you prefer coffee or tea? Coffee, black, please. I'm from newsrooms. <laughs> Whenever you're writing, do you prefer silence or some kind of sound? Got to have background noise. I'm one of those those fidgety people, and if I don't have some kind of background noise and anything, just the TV down low, it doesn't have to be anything special or music or whatever. Just anything will do. Mm-hmm. I wrote a lot of my first book with Law and Order in the background. Yes. <laughs> Yes, I do that too. I watch Law and Order. And, you know, it's good. It's better for plot structure than people think it is because it follows a particular arc. Mm-hmm. And, and there's, you know, it's, it's actually not that, you know. For me, it was just always on. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when it comes to the first draft, are you more of a get it down kind of person or a get it right kind of person? Both. I write, I, I have a weird writing style. I don't have a first draft. I go over the previous day's pages each morning when I start or whenever I, whenever I get a writing session, the first thing I do is go over the previous day's pages. So there's never really a first draft. Mm-hmm. Sounds like that leans towards get it right. Probably. Probably. Yeah. That's, that's, that's also the news background. You know, you prefer to be it, it, <laughs> one thing they say in newsrooms, every newsroom I've ever been in, somebody says it, it's better to be right than first. Mm-hmm. What tools or software do you use to draft? Just Microsoft word and the occasional post-it note. Okay. Do you write in sequential order or do you hop around? I hop around. Oh, wow. I get the open and the close. That Those are always the first two things I get. Not necessarily in that order. Sometimes I know how it's going to end first and, some, and then get to the open. Mm. But almost always the first sentence, particularly with short stories, if I don't have the first sentence, I get nowhere. 
And final quick round question. Are you an extrovert or an introvert? I'm an introvert. People are, <laughs> I'm terribly shy in, in person. I'm the person who's hiding in the corner over there, nursing my glass of wine and watching everybody. <laughs> this always amazes people because, you know, my God, you're on the air. Yeah, you're defying anchor yeah. stereotypes here. We're not supposed to be, right? But I am terrified of actual humans. <laughs> If I have to actually look at eyes, I, I, eyeballs terrify me. I, I much prefer mm -hmm. small groups or not see, not being in the same room with people. That's good too. <laughs> <laughs> so the show is called Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. We already heard your query. Now we're going to talk about the second cue. What were some of the worries that you had on your journey? And were they realized or did you overcome them or how did they shake out? I was terrified I wouldn't be good enough. I mean, that's, that's I think, a standard thing for everybody. But I, th I think a lot of times... I'm from the Western Pennsylvania backcountry, and not a lot of people get out, if you will. Not a lot of people get a degree and you know go get a real job, a big job of some kind. And so I always figured that at some point I'd run into a brick wall. You know what the what the heck is this hillbilly? I can say that nobody else can call me that. Think that she's doing trying to publish a book, you know. And so I was always terrified that at some point somebody would figure would figure out that I was faking it. You know, the good old imposter syndrome. Yeah, of course. And do you still feel that way or do you feel like you've... I mean, some days, some days, yeah. You know, when I get a bad review and somebody gives me a one and says, there's no plot to this book. <laughs> you know, you go on Goodreads and you see there's a one. I have no idea what I just read, but I hated it. Mm -hmm. You know, that hurts and that smarts. And then you realize that, wait a minute, if I'm really that terrible, would I be here? Mm -hmm. You know, so, I mean, it's, I think it's normal. I think writers critique ourselves. We're much harder on ourselves than anybody else could ever be. Mm-hmm. Do you have any writing quirks? Is there anything about your writing process that you think is kind of different or interesting or unique? I write headlines in my work life. And so I have a tendency to come up with the snarky line. That's like my thing is like the line. And like the first line of the Vermont mystery that is coming out in less than a month is I shot the snowman, but I did not shoot the guy inside. <laughs> And, and it's, it's, it's all, it all fits the plot. It's not, it's not just for fun, although it is awfully fun, but, but I do that. I mean, I come up with a line, Jay, the main character in Live Local and Dead is a lot snarkier than Ella, but Ella does the same thing. Ella, um, Ella is actually the opening line of the first Ella book is Juliet's are more trouble than they're worth. <laughs> I like a line. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I have to ramp myself back, which, and sometimes this happens to me in the newsroom too. I, come up with the perfect headline and somebody says, yeah, no, you really shouldn't be saying that. Yeah. I mean, I only write for a book news sites, but sometimes I come up with like a snarky headline and then I have to write the real one because I know I can't use this. Oh yeah. One. Yeah. We have that. Um, and we do that in the newsroom too. I will get, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be sitting there, you know, in the couple hours before go time writing and stuff. And I'll look at my partner and I'll say, the headline I can't use this morning, mm -hmm. <laughs> as long as I want to stay employed. And that, you know, you, we do that too. Yeah, I did get one through. It was called books to read for when you still don't understand consent. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yes. That's a good one. When you were in the lowest parts of your writing journey, what kept you going? And why did you stick to it? It's that line from the, I think it's the Godfather, the Godfather too, I think something always sucks me back in. Mm -hmm. It's, The weirdest thing just it's not that karma wants me to do this or whatever i think it's just that if you're open to that that sign that you should keep going you'll you'll see the sign mm -hmm. you know i get that one on goodreads and i'm ready to you know crawl under a rock and then 
somebody says something, you know, then, then later in the day or a couple, a day later, somebody else says, you know, great. I like this. This is really good. Or, or, you know, or I get a good, or some, sometimes it's not like, it's not external. Sometimes it's internal. I'm ready to give up and I hate everything. And then I get an idea for a short story and it's like, okay, let's try writing this. Even though I've just decided that I really hate writing and writing is awful and I don't ever want to do this again, <laughs> but I have a great story idea. So let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. Something always sucks me back in. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you made along the way that you might like to share with writers? So hopefully they avoid making the same ones. My big mistake is yeah, that I, I think I didn't really know the market when I started trying to sell the Vermont, mm-hmm. this the first version of the Vermont mystery. It was very much more of a riff on a Janet Ivanovich thing, which apparently, which I did not know at that point, but, they, but early Janet Ivanovich, early Stephanie Plum. And that was a great idea for me because I love reading early, I love reading Stephanie Plum. But of course, by the time I'm querying that in 2016, that's a lot different. But, you know, what is what is hot now is a lot different. And whatever your genre is, you need to know what the, what's out there, what what is the thing at the moment and what the conventions are, which is something that I run into a fair amount because I do tend to push the edges a little bit of the, of the genre. My books are considered cozies because considered cozy mysteries because every other word isn't something that has to be bleeped. There's not blood on the floor and there's not graphic sex. That said, there these are grown up people doing grown up people things, and serious matter serious matters and social issues are addressed. But they're addressed in a light fluffy way with the you know they they they're they're there if you want to see them you don't have to but i'm categorized as cozies and it took me a while to figure out what that meant and how i had to kind of modify to go with that so know where you are and know where your publisher is going to put you equally important because mm-hmm. from a marketing standpoint if you don't and trust me you're going to be doing your own marketing that's something everybody you know, you think, okay, ooh, I got the contract and they're going to sell that book. No, honey, you're going to sell that book. And it's your book. It darn well should. But you have to know how they're going to market you and that you have to know what else is out there and what else is going to be on the shelf with you. And I, and I wasn't as good at that as I, as I should have been. I should have done more research. That's nice. Yeah. So the second ever guest on the podcast, Michael Mamme, just said in a tweet the other day to someone, in response to someone saying that they didn't have any comp titles, that their book was unique, so they didn't have any comp titles. He was saying a comp title helps you determine where you sit on your shelf. Yes. They're not going to make a shelf just for you. No. And I just thought that was a great way of putting it. It really is. And, and I think that, that that's the start of something larger, which is the rules are the rules. You may be so wonderful that you don't need to obey the rules. You know, you may be that one writer who is God's gift to writing and the rules do not apply to you. The odds are very good that you're not that person, though. Mm-hmm. And so it's better to know the rules and conventions going in and obey them. Can you share with listeners one of the most important lessons you learned on your journey to publication? Don't give up. I say jokingly that persistence is my superpower. It really is. This whole thing is predicated on the idea that writers just keep coming. You have to. But you also have to be good to yourself and you also have to know when maybe you need to back off and take a little mental health time and always remember this is the other thing that i always that i say and i say it a lot but i'm sorry but i do it's just a no it's not a judgment on your life it's not a judgment mm-hmm. on who you are they don't know who you are they don't know you the person the, the pet parent the mom they don't know any of that all they know is one piece of work in front of you of them that doesn't interest them today mm-hmm. if you can remember that it is profoundly not personal 
even though it feels like you're being hit in the head with a shovel, it's not personal. Mm -hmm. I call this the acknowledgements portion of the podcast. This is not a business that most of us succeed in completely on our own. So who are some of the people or organizations who helped you along the way and how? First, thanks always to my family. My, My son hates when I tell this story, but it is the one that I, I can't help it. Um, one day, years ago, this, he was in first grade, so this is a long time. He's 11 now. I was crying because I'd gotten a, ba- a rejection. It was, it was ugly. It was one of those ones where, you know, you, I just can't connect to the characters, whatever that even means. And we've all heard it. And I was, I was crying. And my little uh, first grader comes up to me and hands me a quarter and says, I'll always buy your book. <laughs> right. And I, and I mean, I cry. I mean, you know, I cried even more. And the, the thing, the, the great part is that every first copy goes to him. I get, you know, the, the box of authors copies arrives. I sign one and he gets the first one always mm-hmm. and forever. As long as there are books, he will get the first one. Does he still give you a quarter for each one? No, <laughs> no. As a matter of fact, he hates when I tell that story. You know, he's 11 now. It's like, ah, stop it. And, and my husband who, God love him. He married a sensible journalist. He's a fellow journalist. And he doesn't understand this fiction thing and doesn't particularly, doesn't read fiction and has no idea what I'm, what he's supposed to do with this, has been behind me every step of the way. He's had some health issues and he was in the middle of all this. He, and, and he still backed me up every bit, every way that he could. So, so my family is obviously the big deal. But I also have, once I got signed, I have a terrific agent on my side. Hmm. You know, you really have to have the right fit with your agent. And that's, it may be the best thing that ever happened to you that you don't get signed with the first person who reads your full, full manuscript mm. because somebody who's better for you may be out there. And it only gets tougher from signing. I know people go, oh my God, I've got to get signed. I've got to get signed. Submission is far harder than the get, it's not getting signed process. It's much more, it's scary as hell. And it's, and, and then there's the whole process of getting the publication and you've got to have the right person beside you for that. And, and my agent, Eric Myers is, phenomenal. So your next release comes out under a pen name in February. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. This is called Live, Local, and Dead. It is a Vermont radio mystery coming from Crooked Lane on February 8th under the pen name of Nikki Knight, which is a little tip of the cap to all of my radio friends. Different, Slightly different genre, different name. Um, and Nikki Knight is a common name for a nighttime female DJ. I've already had one person contact me and ask me if I'm the Nikki Knight he worked with, oh, no. <laughs> which I'm not. But it's, it's a very common name for female DJs um, at night. And it's a rework of the original Vermont radio mystery that I queried lo these many years ago with everything that I've learned as a writer and as a person, because there's a lot of the main character now, instead of, instead of being a single girl with three guys floating around and um, this very, very light and fluffy um, story of how she ended up running the radio station, it's now a single mother who's as she puts it, as Jay Jordan, that's the main character's name, Jay Jordan puts it, her husband survived cancer, but their marriage didn't. And so they end, and so she ends up at a radio station in Vermont, and he's living in New Hampshire across the river, and they're raising their daughter together. The only problem is that she took over this radio station that used to have satellite talk and angry guys, and you know, angry old white guys yelling. And two, count them, two protesters are really annoyed that they can't have their angry old white guy yelling at them anymore. It ends up being about, and then the talk show host ends up dead in the snowman in front of the um, radio station. Mm. There are two, two actually very good mystery plots tied into this. And you have to keep your eyes open for those because I have readers who go, nothing happens. Oh yeah, it does. 
you're looking at the cute guy over there. I was flipping some, slipping in some evidence there. So keep your eyes open. This happens to me a lot because I, I like to distract readers with like a romantic scene or some little family moment. And somewhere in that chapter is a very important piece of evidence that they need to keep track of. But the story is as much about, and there's these two, two very tight murder plots, but the story is also just about local radio and the importance of having your own local media and not, you know, some guy yelling at you from Atlanta. Mm-hmm. It's a little political, but it's not political in a red-blue sense. It's political in a we need to stop screaming in each other sense. All right. Kathleen, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with everyone. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. You can find the text of Kathleen's query in the show notes, along with links to find out more about her and her books. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate if you help me find new listeners by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, or now Spotify, telling your friends, or sharing this episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show, go to patreon.com slash pubtalklive. And if you're a published author interested in being a guest on the show, Please click on the home base link in the description or go to sarahnicholas.com and click on the podcast logo in the sidebar. That's Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.